You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Workplace Perspective is a regular podcast series for employers and employees focusing on education, training, and the law to help organizations of all sizes develop and maintain successful workplace relationships. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. And now, here's your host, founder and principal attorney at Sapphire Legal, Teresa McQueen. Everyone to Workplace Perspective, where we are striving to raise the bar at workplaces everywhere. Today, we're talking with attorney Andrea Bird about cannabis in the workplace. Legalized in 2016, it's 2019. Where are we? I'm excited to hear what Andrea has to say with us. It's going to be a great show. Be right back. Don't go away. The opinions expressed by guests on Workplace Perspective do not necessarily reflect those of Sapphire Legal or its attorneys and should not be considered legal advice. You're listening to Workplace Perspective, an employment law podcast presented by Sapphire Legal. Welcome back to our listeners and welcome to Workplace Perspective. Andrea Bird. Thanks, Teresa. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm excited to be here. It's a great topic. So before we get started, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. So my name's Andrea Bird. Uh, I am the founding attorney at Bird Law Group, and we do uh, cannabis law. We work with small businesses. Uh, we do transactions. We do investment deals. Uh, we do licensing, and we do regulatory compliance, a um, little bit of dispute resolution for some of our clients, um, basically outside general counsel for small businesses. And before we go much further, I know you already had some disclaimers. I'm going to give some more disclaimers. Go for it. Because that's what we do. We're lawyers, right? <laughs> So, you know, cannabis is still a Schedule One drug. Um, so even though it's legal here in California, it's still a federally illegal drug, um, according to uh, the federal government, which means that it's like highly addictive and has no medical, no potential medical benefits, which, you know, most people in the industry will tell you is pretty not true. But that's how it's scheduled. And until it's descheduled, it's still a crime to ha- do anything having to do with cannabis, to touch the plant, to ingest it, to smoke it, to hand it over to someone else. It's all illegal to sell it, to buy it, everything. So, you know, it is still federally illegal. Right now, they can't prosecute you for it. Um, the, the feds can't prosecute. And that's because for medical cannabis, Congress has deallocated funds um, for the prosecution of it. And for uh, recreational, it's up to the individual United States attorneys whether they're going to enforce that or not. And in California, they're not. They're really not anywhere that, um, that cannabis is legal statewide. As long as you're complying with all the other state laws or all the other federal laws and all of the state laws. But it's still illegal and it's just not being prosecuted. So that means if that policy were to change, there's always a risk that they could go back as long as they're within the statute of limitations and prosecute. So it is a risk. We think it's a small risk, but it's a risk. And I always want to make sure that people know that there is still a little risk if you're touching that plant. I know. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It We could do a whole thing on federal law, state law, and how that impacts everybody. And I actually, I sent you a link to an article that we did a few years ago about the interaction of state and federal law. So if you want to put that up and anybody's more interested in getting into the weeds of it, which is my favorite phrase to say, (laughs) um, then you can can look at that article as well. So that's my kind of disclaimer, is make sure you understand that there are risks. um, And all the the other disclaimers you already have on there are great. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) 
Very nice job writing disclaimers. Thank you. It is what we do. Yes. Well, I want to, I I think that's great. And I want to get into a little bit more of that as we go through. But let's, I'm so interested to know what are the like the latest developments with regard to cannabis in the workplace? Sure. So um, there's kind of two parts to that. One is, is, you know, people using cannabis in the workplace or even outside of the workplace. And then the other place, the other side of that is cannabis workplaces. What are the things that are affecting cannabis businesses in particular um, for employment issues? So in terms of um, cannabis in the workplace, there's not that many new developments, believe it or not, because um, when Prop 64, which is the adult Adult Use of Marijuana Act, um, which has since been changed to be called Cannabis, when that came into effect, which was the election November 2016, uh, it, it did make statewide legal to use cannabis recreationally for adult use, um, 21 and over. But it it specifically explicitly said that employers are allowed to maintain alcohol and drug-free work policies um, or workplaces and have those policies in place. So um, there was case law before that saying that even if there's medical, um, a medical use and it's been, there's been a recommendation from a doctor that a patient who's an employee uses cannabis, the employer could still fire that employee. Prop 64 did not change that at all. Um, And it explicitly said, you know, employers can still fire people, (laughs) basically. (laughs) I say explicitly and then summarized, but um, but yeah, so employers can still do everything they could do before in terms of having a, a no-use policy, in terms of having drug testing policies, all of that they can still do. And, you know, they're also free not to. So, for example, my, my business, we cater to cannabis companies. So that means that a lot of um, my employees will be at cannabis events. Um, our policy, to sum that up, is basically don't make a fool of yourself. Um, it's the same as alcohol for us. Don't make a fool of yourself. Right. Don't drive. Um, don't operate any machinery. Um, and, you know, we don't, we, you know, my policy says during the day at work, you can't because, you know, we're drafting things. You, right. We don't want to be in a point wants where a we're like, lawyer, nobody right? wants your lawyer to be billing you at the same time that they're smoking. Well, not nobody. There's other, there's probably some that wouldn't mind too much, but that's the policy is like not during the workday. But if you're with a client and, um, you know, you can partake. Cool. Fine. Just don't make a fool of yourself. You know, don't, don't do too much. Um, and don't drive. I just find that so, inter- I I just find that amazing. Yeah. So we have an attorney saying, "No, no, go ahead." But it's legal. Yeah, so it's legal. You know, as long as yeah. and and you know, and it's almost like if we didn't, then what kind of credibility do we have with our clients telling them like, "Oh yeah, this is legal to do, but we're lawyers, so we won't do it." Like, of course not, you know. Yeah. So, you know, my employees anybody who feels comfortable using cannabis is free to do so as long as so we wouldn't do like drug testing for cannabis in our office because Right. Because, um, you know, cannabis, sta- THC stays in your body for up to a month after you used it. So, you know, and that's a whole other issue with, with people getting, um, by the way, that's my Southern that just came out, a whole other. Um, <laughs> that's a whole other issue because it, it's like with alcohol, if I drink 
wine and get plastered on a Saturday night, it's not in my system when I go to work on Monday. And that's fine. I can get my job done on Monday unless I got really plastered. But <laughs> two day hangover, I don't know. So, about that. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. um but you know, if I smoke a joint on Saturday night and I get drug tested on Monday, even if I'm able to do my job perfectly well, THC will still show up. Um, but is it, let me ask you about that. So because that's one of the interesting things I think about the mm-hmm. dynamic of it being legalized, but then it's not actually, well, you tell me, it, it seems to me that it's not exactly regulated because, so if I drink wine, I can judge my alcohol because mm-hmm. it's judged by alcohol volume, right? I can look mm-hmm. in the bottle, it's 14, it's 60, whatever it is, mm-hmm. same thing for hard alcohol. But as far as I know, it, is there any, well, is yes. there anything that does? But yes. then is there, so even if it's rated, do they actually know? Because I yes. thought the thing was they didn't know how long it stayed in your system because so they ter- were... Yeah, so there's two different questions here. One is okay. how long does it stay in your system? The answer to that is it's it's all depending on your individual body and right? how yeah. you react to it. And that's why we always tell people... I actually speak at UCI a couple times a year to students to talk about drug use and that's how great. to safely obtain cannabis if that's what you're looking to do and how to make sure... And one thing I always tell everybody is... Um, the first time you're trying, say, an edible, do the teeny tiniest bet because it may not kick in for a few hours and you don't know how much it'll affect you right away. So, you know, start with a little bet the first time right, and, right. you know, go work from there. But in terms of how it affects you and how you can test for it once it's in the body, that's a separate issue. And there's developments happening in that. You know, there's police say, labs. Yeah. They have this thing called green labs now that... Um, police officers and DAs go and observe people who have been smoking weed or ingesting uh, ingesting edibles and they observe them over a period of like eight hours to see how do their eyes look, how do they act, which way are they looking, you know, all these kind of physical things so that they can see who's impaired and who's not impaired um, when they do traffic stops and it makes them apparently better witnesses because, you know, I don't the know thing. the numbers like, on it. You, yeah, yeah. I don't know it? the numbers on it, but there's a it's a pretty low conviction rate because there's no real right. testing to show whether you were actually under the influence or not. So it's it's interesting. Um, but now they're starting to develop those, and I think you know over time there's you know if anybody's listening that wants to invent some things, uh, you know, <laughs> a test that can actually test for that would would be like on fire all over every police department in the United States, right? And every employer and everything else that would test like when are you under the influence versus when is it in your system? But right now, I mean, that as far as I know, that technology doesn't exist. Um, Now, as far as what's in the product, that is absolutely tested. And that's one reason that, you know, anybody that is looking for products should go the legal route and go to a licensed dispensary or a licensed delivery service, because anything that's licensed by the state has gone through extensive testing, um, not only to make sure that any of the cannabis involved does not have any pesticides, mm-hmm. but also the levels of THC and other cannabinoids. Um, so you'll know, you know, exactly what you're getting. And if it's, say, like, if it's the flower itself, you'll know what percentage is CBD, what percentage of THC. If it's an edible, it has to be delineated into 10 milligram doses of THC. So you'll know if there's a candy bar here, it's divided into, you know, 10 sections. This one little bite is 10 milligrams. And that's, you know, that's the dosage. Or a lot of them even will be smaller, you know, microdosing of like five milligrams. So you know, if I have this one 
you know, drop or this one gummy, that's this much. I know how that's affected me before. And they have to be, if, if things go for testing and things are not compliant with what they're labeled as, the entire batch gets thrown out. So wow. they have a big motivation to, um, to make it right. <laughs> so if somebody wanted to know, uh, so if I'm thinking from an employee perspective, right? So if I'm an employee and I want to manage my intake so that I'm mm-hmm. not jeopardizing my job by possibly whatever it could be. Mm-hmm. And so I want to know, I want to partake on the weekend. I know I've got something going on Monday. I want to make sure that I'm okay. I'm 100%. Where would I go to get that information? So that information, you want to go to a licensed dispensary. So are most of your listeners in Orange County or is it just everywhere? We're everywhere. Everywhere? We're large. You're large. Awesome. (laughs) I'll give you an example. In Orange County, Santa Ana is the only city that has licensed dispensaries. So I would go... You know what? I'm going to do a shameless plug for one of my clients that I like their shop a lot. <laughs> so, um, so Bud and Bloom. You would go into say Bud and Bloom. Um, it's a beautiful store. You walk in, you give your ID, and then you get to go through the second door into the dispensary part. Everything's on display. You can look at all of the. Everything's required to have labeling. So the state requires specific labels that have warnings on it, um, that are childproof, that have the percentage of all of the cannabinoids on it. Um, in addition to like an ingredient list if it's a baked good or if it's any kind of food good. And you know, I I mentioned before the show, but there's three different bureaus that touch all of these things. There's the the, uh, Department of Agriculture deals with the plant itself when they're growing the cultivation. And then that goes from there. So they have to follow all the Department of Agriculture rules in addition to the specific cannabis rules. And then it goes to, say, manufacturing. They have their own rules, too. And the manufacturing is governed by the, um, the health department. So they have to fo- follow all rules that any other foods have to follow, in addition to their specific cannabis rules for manufacturing. And then it goes to the retail, which is the Bureau of Cannabis Control that would... I mean, in between there, there's distributors, too. But um, you've gone through all these bureaus that have so many regulations. Like, it's, it's a above-the-board product that's going to be a good product. So you would walk into Bud and Bloom. You can look at the labels. You can also talk to the, um, the specialists there that work there and say, you know, if you're looking for a medical issue, you say, like, oh, you know, I need help sleeping at night or I need help with pain. And they'll, they'll give you some kind of point you in the right direction. Um, and then, yeah, and then, like I said, you would want to start with a small dose if it's your first time. But from there, yeah. And, and you know, if you're on a weekend, it's not going to affect you. If you start with a small dose, you're going to be fine on Monday morning. Right. So then the question is, is on the other side of the equation, the, the employer. Right. What if something happens on Monday morning? What if something happens on Monday morning? What if you were with another employee Saturday night? when you did this and then something happens on Monday morning and that employee is like, well, she's smoking weed. Um, so, you, <laughs> you know, get thrown under the bus. Yeah. You yeah. get thrown under the bus. Well, the employer has the right to test you and you know, they may use that to, to terminate you. So, so talk a little bit about from an employer perspective, the, um, the federal aspects of that. So if you're familiar with the... Sure. So, you know, everything that I just said... Yeah, Yeah. everything I just said. And, and, you know, like my my firm doesn't do any federal contracts. We work with cities sometimes in California, but we don't do any federal contracts. Um, And the reason we don't is because federal contracts don't... You have to have a drug-free policy and you have to follow the federal definition of drug-free. So if you have um, anybody working on a federal contract has to be drug-free. Um, and most 
workplaces, as far as I know, apply that to all of their people so they don't have to delineate from who's working on federal contracts and who's not. Like, I wouldn't expect, like, Boeing to be like, oh, yeah, you guys can smoke weed, but you guys can't, Yeah, they're can't, just right? going to go across It's the just going to be across the yeah. board. Um, so, um, yeah, and that explicitly you have to say no drugs. Um, you have to be able to test and you have to um, report if there's any, you know, convictions or anything like that immediately. Right. So... You know, if that's the case, then, you know, you're probably doing random drug testing anyway. You know, your employees have to be drug free by contract. Right. So, right. To maintain this. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll hear from more, more from Andrea on the legalization of cannabis and its impact on the workplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. We're talking about the legalization of cannabis and its potential impacts in the workplace with attorney Andrea Bird. Andrea, so tell me, did the legalization turn into this big, scary problem that everybody thought it was going to be? You know, I really don't think it did. And, and you know, of course, my perspective is most of my clients are in the industry and, like, want the industry to expand. You're too laid back to have an opinion. So, no. Yeah, no. Um, so, you know, I, but I really haven't seen much of the, um, oh, never going to happen here, you know. I mean, even, like, Irvine, that five years ago I would have been like, Irvine could never, never have anything. Yeah. Well, they have a lab there that does the testing, um, you know. So they've actually given out a license, Um you know, like right now, I still would say like Anaheim will never allow any licensing because I can't imagine Disneyland being like right. okay with it. And like, you know, I'd actually be the happiest place on earth. if it might. <laughs> But who knows? Because, you know, it, it really is, you know, if the public says we want more availability of cannabis, then you know, the city councils are going to listen. It's going to go on to voter ballots and um, and ballot measures, and that it'll happen. So, you know, it, it really hasn't been um, this big disaster. And I think that the, the biggest problem is this bottleneck that we have where localities are not as likely to give these licenses out. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just really hard right now at the local level. The state's, you know, still catching up on a lot from the last few years trying to get caught up with the, right. the bureaus are all trying to get caught up on the licensing because they kind of did immediately gave out the temporary licenses to anybody who had the state license or the local license but then like to get it through these actual applications I mean these are huge applications they're not like just to like fill out a piece of paper there's extensive background checks on every single person involved um, and anybody that gets hired has to do be like live scanned and it's a pretty intense um, process so, you know, I think that the big scary thing is really that it's not as available as people thought it would be. And there's still a thriving black market because the taxes are so high um, that there's just not enough businesses and there's not enough individual cities that are issuing the licenses um, or issuing any local permission. So we've been, you know, trying to get the word out to cities that like, hey, maybe give out some delivery licenses, get some tax revenue, because mm -hmm. if you have a delivery license, you can deliver anywhere in the state, um, or at least anywhere, you know, reasonable within where your license is. Okay. Um, you can't, like, make, you can't stop overnight somewhere or anything, but you can drive and do deliveries. So, you know, so it's, um, it's good tax revenue for the cities. 
crime we're we're you know we're looking at a lot of studies that have been happening but it it looks like crime likely is is going down in areas that have this um because there's like there's additional security surrounding all of these um businesses they have 24-hour cameras there has not been um major crime related to everything i mean they'll have the thefts here and there um just like any business has thefts here and there or vandalism or what have you but there haven't been like big you know i i mean just like any business probably um you know, shoplifting or employee theft is probably the highest on any lists of the crimes, just like any business, any retail business. Um, So, you know, um, and a little bit of vandalism here and there, but there, there haven't been, I think people were worried that there would be like gang wars and murders happening. And that's just not the case. It's just not that scary. My thinking was, well, my thinking was on that aspect of it, which we could do a whole thing on mm-hmm. that as well, but the cash business aspect of it yeah, and knowing that th- that's what I thought would be the issue mm-hmm. that they would have at store with all the cash. So people yeah. thinking that there's masses amounts of cash on premises and mm-hmm. doing all that kind of stuff and those people being targeted. And yeah, on that's all what that kind I of mean, stuff. that was the worry. Well, the state has very intense security procedures that they make you do. Um, and, and anytime you're getting a license, either from the city, most cities and also the state license that you have to have before operating requires a security plan to be approved. Um, so there's a lot of security pr- procedures for all of these licensed businesses. Um, and the other thing is, you know, well, I'm gonna. I, we represent the city of Palm Springs, and I love what they're doing um, for the cash. They have these special, like ATM type machines that issue debit cards. Um, that these particular debit cards are kind of almost gift cards. They can only be used at dispensaries. So, oh, interesting. So, not only is the city able to track all of the cash. Um, so that they can accurately collect taxes, they're also able to keep the cash out of everything. So um, they're only in these, you know, machines is where all the cash is. So who who goes to the machine to get the, who puts the money on the card? It, the the people purchasing cannabis. Oh, they go to the machine first. Oh, I see it. Get okay. the card. The card's oh. the card's good at any of the dispensaries in the city. I think. So it's all electronic money. It's so all electronic. So money. that's okay. Yeah. So there are ways that um, that things can be worked around so that you don't have to have the cash business. So you have things like that. And that's oh, the city doing it for them. But, right. you know, so, so there's always that aspect. Um, you know, there's also, you know, some, some people are able to get a, um, credit card accounts from, you know, offshore banks, um, high-risk banks. Right, right. Um, and then, you know, some banks will still take um cannabis businesses they have to there's some very strict rules they have to follow with it so most banks won't and it still is a really difficult um problem in the industry the banking part but you know they don't keep much cash on hand at any given time (laughs) um you know they get rid of it fast they don't keep it on site and again the security procedures are so tight that it just hasn't been the the issue I think that's so, interesting. Yeah. So I know that myself and a lot of employment law attorneys do the when their clients because the clients are freaked out. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like it, it's really not been that. It, so in my opinion, it wasn't that big of a thing to do. So it was like saying, treat it like alcohol. Yeah. And every and we're all making these alcohol analogies, but is that it's pretty accurate, right? I mean, is I mean, that I think it's pretty accurate. Okay. I mean, you know. The um the vehicle like the impairment to drive a vehicle right. 
you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't operate machinery right. under shouldn't the influence doing of anything that affects the brain, yeah. right? Yeah. Um so yeah, like heavy machinery, it's just a common sense thing that you can't. Um alcohol you wouldn't operate heavy machinery right you wouldn't come to work drunk you shouldn't come to work stoned you wouldn't get on a forklift if you were impaired you shouldn't get no matter what's impairing you whether it's prescription whether it's marijuana whether it's you know cannabis or alcohol so yeah i mean if you're if you're if you're on vicodin because your knee hurts um you know don't get on a forklift yeah use a forklift yeah um if you're if you're on cannabis because your knee hurts don't use a forklift Interesting. If you're drinking wine because of your knee hurting, I don't think a doctor told you to do that. Um, <laughs> you never know. If you're drinking wine because you have two children like I do, don't drive a forklift. Um, Always good advice. Yes. So tell me your favorite. Tell me one of your favorite stories. Everybody loves attorney tales. Sure. Um, we got about we got two minutes, Paul's yeah. telling me. But tell okay. me your favorite story. So, um, so this is... From especially for cannabis businesses, um, bringing the people in from the old collective model where they were kind of loosey goosey with things to like you are a legitimate um, licensed business that has to follow all the rules. The employment issues were big because so many people were just cash payments everywhere, oh, not yeah. tracking stuff. And you know, um, the Dynamex case, uh, which I'm sure you guys have talked about on the yeah. show, said delivery drivers are not are not independent contractors, basically. Right. Um, so when that case came down, you know, we had to go to all of our delivery clients and be like, guess what? Even if they're using their own cars, like before, you know, we were like, hey, they're using their own cars. They're setting their own schedule. OK, that'll be fine. We had to go to all of these people and say, nope, they W2 them, every single one of them, every single one of them. And um, so that was, you know, kind That'd of been a, a hard go a little bit, oh, you know, because yeah. um, everybody's like, oh, well, what I do. And, you know, we had people who refused to to do that and they quit instead you know and so we had to do settlement agreements we had to say like well if you won't go on w2 we can't we can't 1099 you and i'm sorry like and then we had to do you know releases um for 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 several clients so it was an interesting time where all of a sudden we were like just don't just w2 everybody all the time (laughs) it just is like just do it it's and you know people that are in this industry they have to know like and, and this is something we always stress to our clients that you're going to be looked more closely at than any Especially other. Right now, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's not like you are selling Subway sandwiches. You are selling cannabis. And there's going to be more focus on what you're doing than what Subway Sandwiches is doing. Not that Subway Sandwiches violates anything no, or no, no, should no, no. or anything else. Right. But in terms of like, you're going to have inspectors in here looking at your books. You're going to right. have auditors. I mean, Every if you are a tax law person, talk to me because chances are next year you're gonna have everybody being audited because they're all filing their t- returns right now, like for the first year of being public. Oh, and there's really crazy tax laws, so you know they're gonna be audited, they're gonna be investigated, they're going to be having random people show up there, and and if people aren't, you know, completely in line, yeah. they could lose their license, and that's the entire business done. Wow, I'd love um, to talk about so. the federal aspect of that part of it on the. God, that's a whole other show. It's a whole other show. A whole other. <laughs> well, I would thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has thank been you. It's been awesome. fun. It's great to hear about what's going on, and there's yes. so much more we can talk about. 
That's our show for today. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me and sharing such valuable insight on this great topic. Thanks for having me. If you want to learn more about Andrea and her practice, you can find her on the web at birdlg.com. That's B-I-R-D-L-G.com. Also connect to Andrea via our website at sapphirelegal.com slash podcast and click on episode 19. I want to also thank our listeners, my radio angels, James and the Nave at Night, and Workplace Perspectives team extraordinaire, our engineer-producer, Paul Roberts, with music provided by the very talented Stephen Versaloni. Thank you all for joining us on Workplace Perspective, and until next time, keep raising the bar. Keep raising the bar.